0: what i would like to look at in the talk this evening is the relationship between attention calmness and insight developing attentiveness in the context of a meditation retreat is really developing a very fine art Its development requires more than just practice or time or effort. The development of the attentiveness we seek for in meditation requires us to nurture simultaneously certain qualities of consciousness, qualities within our own minds. We are asked to nurture or develop attentiveness in a spirit of sensitivity, of love, clarifying what it is that we love about being present. We are asked to simultaneously nurture our own capacities for patience, for dedication and for our own willingness to learn there are very few spiritual disciplines no matter how informal they are that don't actually place a great deal of emphasis upon developing this art of attentiveness and I think the reasons are very obvious and we're not attentive we're not present when we are not attentive our relationship both to the inner world and the outer world tends to be flavored by a certain superficiality, where we are caught much more within the world of images and reactions the world of aversion or pursuit of gratification and attentiveness is intended essentially to cut through superficiality to cut through the distance between ourselves and our perception or receiving of the world around us it's intended to cultivate a certain depth and communion now the communion that is intended to attentiveness is both an inner communion, an inner integration where the mind and the body and the heart a whole world of feeling is integrated is bonded together through the attentiveness that we are willing to bring that same intimacy is sought with the world around us that we receive through our sense door to cultivate a, a quality of relatedness of intimacy where we see things as they are free of projection and free of aversion so the basic bottom line of attentiveness is depth depth of receptivity depths within our perceptions. It is probably useful to know that attentiveness can be developed in different ways in meditation. There is a way of developing attentiveness where the primary object is actually concentration. A very deep and profound level of concentration. Now, in this way of developing attention, the object is actually to to cultivate what are called absorption states or jhanas. And there are a number of these different absorption states, which are really distinguished from one another by their qualities. There's absorption states that feature very profound levels of bliss of happiness, of equanimity spaciousness, of boundlessness now these absorption states are are known or experienced through developing concentration in a very specific way it's also a practice which Requires a certain amount of time to be committed to it, a certain kind of environment. It's not actually what we're doing here. What we are doing here is much more relating attentiveness to insight. It seems a very simple invitation perhaps in meditation to develop an attentiveness which is wholehearted and yet we do experience that actually to be present is one of the most challenging undertakings that we meet in our life superficially of course it seems a very very precious gift we offer ourselves here we have nothing to do except extend a wholehearted sense of caring and sensitivity towards ourselves our relationship to this moment we experience how difficult wholeheartedness can be at times and what a challenge attentiveness is prior to coming on retreats often we have you know, a sense of anticipation and Excitement, oh wonderful, the opportunity to step out of busyness, the opportunity to be still, the opportunity to be with ourselves. Sometimes we can hardly wait to get onto a cushion until the moment that we arrive. And then sometimes we can hardly wait to get off. There's a struggle that we encounter. Attentiveness introduces us to one of our basic struggles in our lives our willingness to be awake, our ambivalence about awakening. It seems, you know, there is always something else to do except to be attentive. There are a lot of issues to deal with, perhaps stories to get rid of, uh, difficulties to get over, memories to be preoccupied with. And for many, you know, we see this in a retreat and we see how much it is the habit of a lifetime, how much at times it is the habit of a lifetime to be elsewhere, sometimes almost anywhere else, except with the simplicity of being, the simplicity of receiving. It is a habit of a lifetime to be elsewhere that is very much founded upon a sense of need. Sometimes it is founded upon a sense of inadequacy, upon an inner mistrust. The habit of being elsewhere sometimes is rooted in doubt, doubt in doubting whether we act Hold within us a quality of richness in which there's completeness, in which there's nothing lacking, nothing missing. The habit of being elsewhere sometimes is rooted in mistrusting our own capacity to be here. It is also this need or this sense of need that always leads us to be reaching elsewhere. Tells us sometimes a great deal about our relationship to ourselves. Sometimes it tells us unfortunately that we believe ourselves to be so poor inwardly that we can actually only be completed by being in contact with something else which is interesting exciting or gratifying the absence of or the demand or need for gratification is one of the great motivations of the reaching mind whether it reaches into fantasy whether it reaches into the future whether it reaches into the past whether it reaches into numbness the demand for gratification is the primary moving force of the reaching mind that is alienated alienated from itself I think it is very important you know sometimes we think you know we tend to dismiss the struggles that we have in meditation thinking it's kind of you know just something we have to get better at or practice more of and I think it is very important to appreciate the the depth of this struggle that we encounter in being with ourselves. What we are facing at times are the kind of demons. The demon of belief in in an in, inner in, in vacuum. Sometimes we are facing. And the sense of self, the notion of self that demands stimulation and pleasure and gratification for survival. And I think so often in meditation, when we encounter the reaching mind, we're actually encountering our own sense of identity or belief in self that is really looking for both flattery and busyness. Busyness and flattery are the props upon which the sense of self uh, feeds and thrives. What happens in meditation is we renounce our props, willingly or unwillingly, consciously or unconsciously. We end up renouncing many of our props. Of course, we manage to make a few new ones here. But many of them are renounced. And in that, we are left with ourselves alone. We experience aloneness. Sometimes, initially, we experience Experience aloneness as deprivation and that is why we have to go through things like the hindrances why we have to go through things like this mind that seems to be endlessly craving because aloneness is experienced as deprivation one of the things we are deprived of in meditation it seems is control And i think it is very important to appreciate how how addicted the self is to control wanting to be in charge wanting to know what's happening wanting to be able to direct things wanting to know what comes next wanting certain guarantees you know when you out of the sitting feeling that it's been a, a bad sitting you know who is it that experiences it as being bad when you come out of a sitting feeling well that's been a good sitting who's happy about it you know when you come into the next sitting looking for a repetition who is looking and what is sought for in that looking control is you know one of the major props of the self which is at times why meditation is difficult because we are confronted with how illusory our sense of control is this is the first teaching of meditation you are not actually in control we actually knew this all along but most of us or we find ways of not actually having to believe it until we sit you know and that is when you discover the illusion of control you know when your mind is in the middle of some grand chatter try telling it to be quiet There's often very little obedience you know when your mind is in the middle of some grand fantasy try telling it to be happy with what is usually it doesn't work we experience that often we have no choice about letting go things change no matter how much we try and hold on to them they change no matter how much we try and make something come it doesn't always happen Letting go is as intrinsic to our lives as change is. There's no tragedy in change. There is only tragedy in investment. Sometimes, too, attentiveness is not always easy for us because there are people who do not actually believe that they are worthy of attention perhaps not used to receiving it in their lives. perhaps not used to receiving care or sensitivity, find it difficult to direct that wholeheartedness of care towards themselves. These various challenges that we meet in meditation is why attentiveness requires more than just practice or time or effort it is why developing attentiveness requires such a commitment to patience and dedication why it requires compassion and generosity these are the very foundations of true attentiveness as we persevere in meditation with developing attention it is important to remind ourselves that we don't develop attention so that we will no longer be bothered by the struggles of our mind we don't develop attention in order to kind of subdue our minds or to overcome or transcend anything we don't develop attention so that we can arrive at some sort of lofty kind of hallowed destination or state of ex- experience where we're not going to be disturbed by the scattered mind or by feelings of unworthiness or by fantasy. To develop attention with this kind of motivation may very well give birth to a consciousness that is concentrated, that is firmly fixed within the present moment, that it often leads to a kind of rigidity and to an attentiveness that is lost as you get up off the cushion. We develop attentiveness in order to meet the challenges of our lives in a skillful and compassionate way. In order to meet the dynamics of our own being in a skillful and compassionate way. It is very important to see that when attentiveness is actually founded upon compassion and generosity. Attention does develop, but most importantly, we are deepening in these qualities of consciousness. To develop a real attentiveness actually requires insight. It requires insight to see that allowing things to be, allowing ourselves to be, is also what allows us to be at home within whatever arises. The willingness to welcome rather than to avoid or to have aversion for is what allows us to see things clearly. The willingness to extend compassion to the ups and downs and the shenanigans and the tricks of our own minds. That compassion. Is what allows us to begin again rather than to draw conclusions about who we are. The willingness to be generous, to form no images, to make no judgments on the basis of what arises or doesn't arise within our mind. The willingness to be generous creates spaciousness. This is what allows attentiveness to develop. We develop attentiveness not just so that we have five or six breaths in a row, but so that we learn the lessons of what allows us to be at ease in this moment. So that we allow and know what it means to deepen in compassion, in generosity, in steadfastness, in sensitivity. The deepening in these qualities is actually far more significant and having a continuity within our breathing. The practice we do here is not directed towards a kind of quantitative expansion of attention, you know, so that we can leave sitting saying, oh yes, you know, now I'm such a terrific meditator, I have 15 breaths in a row. This is not what the meditation is about. It is about the qualitative transformation of our consciousness. This is so important to remember. Now, when we begin in this practice, and actually for very often for a very long time in this practice, our practice primarily revolves around paying attention to objects. In this case, you know, the object that we select in the beginning of this retreat is our breathing, it's our anchor object, our primary object. We give equal attention to other objects. Objects that our attention is drawn towards, sounds, sensations, feelings. But all of these are objects within the consciousness. They are impressions that are received within the consciousness. So it seems that the practice is very object-centered. Being with one object at a time, one object after another. It is not so easy. In the beginning sometimes it seems that we have very little clarity around the objects we are paying attention to you know we may be aware we're thinking but we're not necessarily aware what we're thinking we may be aware when there's a mind state but sometimes only when it's over you know we may be aware of a sound but there seems to be a distance between us now the objects The selection or the use of objects in meditation is in order to end that distance. It's in order to end that vagueness, to deepen our connection with the present moment. We don't use the breath because it's more important than any other object, but because of its accessibility and its constancy now as we continue with attentiveness we see there are certain changes that do begin to take place there's a slowing down of inner activity the objects seem to slow down what is happening in that of course is there is less uninterrupted busyness there is more space between the objects so we see there's beginnings and endings. There's an object in consciousness, it passes away. There's another object in consciousness, it too passes away. As inner activity slows down, often we feel ourselves to be closer to those objects and closer to the beginning of their arising. So instead of being aware of a thought pattern, you know, an hour after it finishes there's more of a sense that thought is actually something that has a beginning. It's not always there. It has a beginning. We're able then to see a thought as a thought, a sound as a sound, a sensation as a sensation. Now clearly, the objects become clearer because the mind becomes clearer, because the attention becomes clearer. The objects become calmer. It seems that the objects become calmer. You know, there's less of a sense of being ambushed by things. Seems the objects, because can't become calmer, because the mind is calmer. It is not so rooted in aversion, nor is it so rooted in grasping and reaction. As the mind becomes calmer, often too, so does the body. There's a feeling more of, again, a slowing down of interactivity activity within the body. There's less of strong reactiveness around pain or, or, or pleasure. It's more of a sense of sensations as sensations. Now this is a kind of organic development of attentiveness. The slowing down of objects, the calmness with with which they are received the capacity to come closer to their arising and there are also changes within the consciousness there's a more of a sense of spaciousness of happiness of balance of openness this is a kind of i mean there is no standard map for the way in which attention develops you know it does develop differently for different people but this is a kind of generalized way in which it will develop now of course, we are much happier it seems when there's more calmness and more spaciousness and sometimes that becomes a new state of being which equally can become a new state of attachment we might think oh great you know i've arrived all that work i've put in and now I get the reward, and this is where I want to retire. You know, enough of the other stuff, and I just want to kind of settle in in this nice, calm, more comfortable and more relaxed space. Now clearly, the quieter mind at times does seem to be the happier mind, and so it's a very attractive space to be in. But I think it is very important not to assume You know that we have uh, finished the job so to speak you know uh, that now we can kind of wash our hands and go home we've done what we came here for nor should we assume that the object of meditation is to get better and better at perceiving objects this is not the heart of meditation no matter, it's, the heart of meditation is not to have greater and greater precision in our capacity to see objects. I think, nor should we assume that there is a direct link between calmness and insight. Sometimes I think this is a conclusion that is made, is that there is a direct link between calmness and insight. Well, it's not so. There are many people in this world who can have terrific concentration, a wonderfully calm mind, and absolutely no insight. There are other ingredients here that need to be looked at. The quiet mind is not necessarily wiser than the noisy mind. It is understandable that we long for a quiet mind if we have a lot of chaos in our lives but it is important not to be satisfied uh-huh. with calmness. I mean, I would never say this on the first day of a retreat, you know, don't be satisfied. That so then it seemed enough, you know. <coughs> but I think you have to be aware of keep moving the goalposts, you know. Not to be satisfied with calmness. It is not enough. It is not what we are here for. The point of calmness, is not to get better and better at seeing objects. The calm consciousness is a foundation which lends itself, which is conducive to deepening in insight. But insight is not the automatic product of being calm. What actually happens is insight seems to come more easily into an environment of calmness and spaciousness. It is not to say that the chaotic mind cannot have any insight. Of course it can. You know, there can be lots of insight in the chaotic mind. But because when the mind is tied up in chaos, or tied up in reactions, or tied up in busyness, what actually, its actual relationship to the present moment is far more superficial. That also means, at times, that insight only makes a superficial impression. And I think our life experience tells us this a lot. You know, We do, you know, words flow out of our mouths and, you know, and there's a voice within us that says, you know, it would have been wiser not to say that. You know. We know it, you know, we know that was kind of a foolish thing to do. Or we find ourselves engaging in some kind of, you know, reactiveness or distractedness. And all the time, you know, something in us is saying, No, 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 hold it, you know, you don't need to be doing this or you've been here before, you don't need to be here again. I mean sometimes, you know, we often have, you know, this wonderful kind of philosopher that abides within our reactive mind, you know, that is kind of rebuking us, scolding us for doing what we're doing. And yet clearly the inside is there, the wisdom's there. You know, we know the relationship between suffering and its cause. Most of us know this. This is not news. You know, we learned this, you know, quite a number of years ago, most of us. But the philosopher residing in our consciousness actually seems very powerless, isn't it? We know it may not be wise, and yet there's not the possibility, it seems, of stepping out of the conditioned reactions or the habit patterns or the tendencies. So the insight is there, but the insight does not have the power to bring about transformation. The transformation is brought about when our understanding and our application of it are in accord. This is when there is transformation. Insight alone doesn't guarantee transformation. What does guarantee transformation is the integrity or the oneness of wisdom and its application. Um, I feel this is very important to understand, you know, because sometimes we, we do talk a lot about developing insight, developing wisdom. And I think sometimes people feel, you know, that they're still waiting for the big flash, you know, or the really transforming insight, you know, that they just have to sit a bit more, you know, or sit a bit longer or suffer a bit more or endure a bit more or something and then there's going to be some kind of grand revelation the insight of all insights you know that ends suffering but this i think is a kind of mythology i mean certainly there are breakthroughs in meditation and breakthroughs that come through insight but the most significant breakthrough in meditation i feel is breaking through our resistance to being with what is and breaking through our resistance to living in accord with our own wisdom. I think that is the breakthrough in which we actually see transformation beginning to happen in our lives. Insight often doesn't come in big flashes insight is often a very quiet deepening of our own willingness and dedication to live in harmony with what we know to be true. The cause of suffering is often not difficult for us to find. Whenever we are alienated from what is, whenever we are lost within craving are lost within aversion, we suffer. Whenever we are alienated from what is most true within our own hearts and within our world, then we suffer. There's a difference between knowing something and living it. And this is where calmness is actually conducive to insight because when there is calmness there is a kind of receptivity in which our understanding our own insight actually gains power it's actually so rooted within us actually that in a way we stop making choices our insight becomes quite choiceless it guides us in our life the insight that is important in meditation it's a scene that is immediately translated into letting go. Calmness helps that depth of understanding. Now, true attentiveness or developing attentiveness in meditation is also more than just having a quiet mind or a calm mind. It is about calmness and clear comprehension. This is more than just paying attention to objects. Clear comprehension means that we are directly and clearly connected with what we are attending to. It means attending to this moment in a way in which we let go of projections, likes and dislikes and images to be able to see a thought just as a thought, a feeling just as a feeling. It is also a clear comprehension which actually stresses the nature of things so clear comprehension is about seeing impermanence you know we talk about seeing change all the time but to truly understand impermanence means our lives go through some very radical changes you know if we really live in accord with an understanding of change there is an immediate saying of the futility of clinging, of control, and aversion. So clear comprehension means seeing impermanence on a moment-to-moment level, birth and death, beginnings and endings. It teaches us about life. It teaches us how to live wisely. Clear comprehension also is understanding the relationship on a moment-to-moment level between suffering and its cause. It means seeing in that moment of grasping we bring sorrow upon ourselves. In that moment of aversion we distance ourselves. It means seeing that relationship between suffering and its cause on a moment-to-moment level and being dedicated to the end of suffering. Clear comprehension also means seeing the relationship or the role of self In our meditation, in its relationship to the present moment, being aware of the way in which self is created, constructed, and identified with. When there is clear comprehension, we see the beginning of the dissolution of dwelling of holding, of returning to things. The mind becomes easier. The present moment becomes easier. There's a sense of joy and lightness. We become closer to the objects and they change, they dissolve. There's also a calmness that develops through clear comprehension, which means that, yes, there is still the arising of phenomena in the moment. There's still thoughts, there's still sensations, there's still feelings but there's less stickiness. And you can feel that difference. That way of being in the present moment, when things kind of flow through the consciousness rather than sticking, it means the consciousness is clearly established in tranquility, in contentment, in calmness of being. Now, again, this is another very comfortable space because there's a sense of a lot of stillness inwardly you know there's movement movement in the mind movement in the body movement through the sense doors but there's a lot of inner stillness because there's not a sense of moving with things or moving towards things or moving away from things so inwardly you know there's a great kind of stillness of being, which is quite delightful. There's no doubt. It's quite delightful, also quite addictive at times. We think, oh, I just need to be still. You know, I need to get back to that place. Again, this is not something to rest upon. Now, there is a kind of way in which insight develops organically. There's also times when insight needs quite a kick to get it going. You know, you actually do need to nudge insight through some investigation and through some inquiring. You know, not everyone is going to just sit and be blessed with insight, you know, just by virtue of being here. Sometimes you need to, you know, give a little nudge. We know there are many ways of sitting on a cushion, you know, and it's fine to rest in calmness. You know, treat yourself for an hour or two. You know, it's fine to rest in stillness. You know, enjoy it for a time. It's not like you need to kind of, oh no, stillness, you know, I better move on. You know, (laughs) enjoy it a little, you know, fine. But not to kind of retire there. There are ways also where we really need to encourage the vitality of investigation and inquiry. Liberating insight is not going to be found in paying attention to a world of objects. It is not going to be found there. No matter how good we are at seeing objects, we are not necessarily going to be any more free because of that. Liberating insight is found not only through seeing objects, but also through seeing the subject liberating insight is found through awakening to the falseness of conditioned reality inevitably to awaken to that we need to give attention not only to objects but also to the subject in meditation actually what we do if, if engaged in a skillful way is that by giving attention to objects this is actually a way of seeing the subject the self now in meditation what we do of course is we develop the meditator, you've probably noticed this, you know over these days here we have been training the meditator, we have been developing the meditator by paying attention to our breathing our body, our, our sense who do you think is doing this this is the meditator now the meditator of course you know, develops mindfulness we also need to bear in mind that the meditator of course is no other than the self in another form it is developed with a skillful intention but it must be appreciated that as long as the presence of the meditator is there with its object of meditation we are still playing in the field of duality skillfully playing there but we are still engaged in the field of duality because the meditator no matter how close it is to the object of meditation is still entrenched within its own identity no matter how absorbed it is in its object of meditation the meditator is still established with its own identity and it is separate is separate. Now, the essence of the spiritual life, of course, the essence of nurturing insight is to end separation. Ending separation means understanding ignorance. Ignorance is believing duality to be reality. This is what ignorance is. It is accepting that separation, a world of separation, where one object is separate from another, that this is truth, or that this is a true reality. Ignorance is believing duality to be reality. Meditation, or the purpose of insight, of course, is to uproot, to dissolve ignorance, to end this world of separation because, as long as there is separation, there is suffering. Suffering really is the nature of separation. Now, the world of objects, the world of objects or the world of separation, of course, is created or perceived on a moment-to-moment level because of the ignorance which produces the belief in I. I is always separate from you inner is separate from outer us is separate from men it doesn't mean that meditation is in order to annihilate the I this is not the purpose of meditation but the purpose of meditation is certainly to nurture that clarity of insight and depth of insight in which we see the emptiness and the insubstantiality and the transparency of this world of separation of the belief in I and of the belief in a world of objects this means in our meditation that it is equally important to see through the meditator now we cannot overlook the role that the meditator has in meditation and we cannot overlook the way in which the self creates a new sanctuary of control and identity through meditation. Now, of course, the meditator is very happy about some things and unhappy about others. The meditator is very excited about progress and very depressed about failure. All of the ideas of good and bad in meditation, of course, uh, only the value judgments of the meditator has nothing to do with the present moment. Absolutely nothing. There is no good and bad within the field of experience of meditation. But we have tend to have a lot of li- uh, labels and signposts of getting better, getting worse, making progress, slipping back, you know, getting deeper, being more superficial, what does this actually say about the present moment? Or what does it say about the kind of temper of the meditator? Or its feelings of success? Now, sometimes, of course, the meditator does also at kind times become very attached to attentiveness because it has a lot of power. You know, it can dissolve one object after another. The meditator can aim its kind of laser beam or of attention at objects and kind of shoot them down, you know, and end that and end that and that one's gone and that one's dissolved. You know. And there's a certain gleefulness in that. But of course the meditator becomes very gleeful of its capacity to exert control in meditation. It's the same self. That accumulates impressions, that finds identities in other things. In our life, it's not a different self; it is just a more refined self. It's not to say that we should immediately take a position of dispensing with the meditator. The meditator is a very useful character to have around for a while. You know, it really does aid us in our journey but we need to be aware about where we have entrenched ourselves in a new identity and a new form of becoming through grasping through grasping hold of our meditation experience is separate from the experiencer sometimes I think it feels puzzling because we see the need for developing the meditation and I totally acknowledge the validity of the meditator but then i think sometimes we come to a kind of point where we also see the way in which the meditator arises and passes in relationship to his own experiences and sometimes we wonder well where do i go from here you know where do i go from here i mean you can't actually try not (coughs) doing you know i mean you see the meditators always do (laughs) You can't try not to do you know i mean this is clearly another you know this is another doing and you know, now i'm going to not do anything you know i'm going to rest in stillness now you know this is not actually possible i think sometimes we feel puzzled you know well how do you actually get out of this whole web of entanglement you know, I can't obviously have become enlightened. I can't get to enlightenment through having better and better experiences because clearly then the experiencer is tagging along on the journey. You know, there seems to be a puzzle about how do you actually see the emptiness of this? What I think it is very important is to distinguish between attention and awareness. Sometimes we are a little bit sloppy in our language and we use these words interchangeably. They are not actually interchangeable. Attention is what meditation practice is about. Attention has an object of attention, whether it's a breath or something else. Attention is known through its object. Attention needs object. I'm paying attention to something attention is also a form of movement it is directed I place my attention upon things I observe things I pay attention to things attention is a movement in consciousness that comes through intention be aware of this you You consciously cultivate attention you develop it you refine it and through it you clarify your objects of attention. So there are characteristics of attention. It is moving. It requires an object. It is born of intention. They are the characteristics of attention. They are also the characteristics, of course, that the meditator is engaged in developing. Now I would actually make a very clear distinction between attention and awareness. Attention is not engaged, uh, I mean awareness is not engaged in movement. Awareness does not require an object. Awareness is not born of intention. Awareness is much more the essence of the consciousness that is not defined by grasping attention takes place within awareness it takes place within awareness but awareness doesn't require attention that's why sometimes it is helpful in meditation just as attention requires the presence of objects to be aware to be conscious equally of absence calmness allows us have that awareness to see with that awareness in the ending of an object in the pause before the arising of another object. What is also seen within awareness, what awareness is empowered to see, the consciousness the consciousness that is not limited by grasping, holds the arising and the passing of the subject and the object together. The listener arises with the sound, the experiencer arises with the experience, the thinker arises with the thought. All of those are always married. They arise together, they pass together. In that arising and passing, when there is identification, there is the beginning of movement, the beginning of grasping. And there is the birth of conditioned consciousness. We say, this is what I am. I see, I think, I know, I have, I lose, I gain. This is the arising of conditioned consciousness when the subject and the object are bound together to clinging. They arise and pass within the field of awareness, seeing for what they are. Clearly for what they are. There's also the scene of the transparency of those realities. To see the transparency of any reality that is based upon clinging. So I think it is important that, I mean, one way of putting it is if you want to know who you are find that which you cannot have a description for. If you really want to understand a wind, to know that all embracing stillness and clarity and wisdom of a wind, see presence and also see absence. The calmness of meditation Lens of shaft to insight. Insight is concerned with seeing the end of separation. Separation is understood through dissolving ignorance, the belief in that separation to be reality. There is only one place and one time that that wisdom can be born, and it is in the moment of seeing. Not as a result of any kind of perfection but born in the wisdom of seeing in each moment in the practice, in this practice we need to know when it is more skillful for us to focus upon developing attention developing clear intention developing clear effort it's easy to know that you know, when there is a lack of connectedness, a lack of intimacy, when there is reactiveness and extremes of mental state, what is appropriate in that moment is to develop the meditation, to develop attention, to develop clear comprehension, to develop calmness, because this allows us to see. It is also important in this meditation in this whole journey to know the wisdom of stillness and quietness. To know the peace of that but not to mark that as a kind of end of a journey or as an attainment to hold on to. It is important also in this practice to know when not to do, when it is time not to be addicted always to objects and precision, when to be aware of not only arising and passing but also aware of presence and absence. know the wisdom of response to each moment, not to think of this as some kind of hierarchy, that first I do this and then I do that and then I graduate to awareness. Awareness is always with us. Awareness is always with us. It is really knowing the wisdom of how to come close, how to be at home, how to rest within that which is always with us. May all beings live with clarity. May all beings live with calmness. May all beings deepen in understanding. So have just a couple of minutes quietly together and then we'll have a break.